Welcome to the Data Bites podcast by Women in Data, where we give you your weekly bite-sized dose of career development advice, industry case studies, and career stories to help you excel in your data career. Today, I'm joined with Chrissy Fletcher. Chrissy is the Vice President of Development Statistics at GSK. She leads a group of statisticians supporting the development of new and approved medicines in immunology, cardiovascular, respiratory, neuroscience, HIV, global health, and infectious disease areas. She's also actively engaged in statistical societies, pharmaceutical trade associations, and initiatives relating to the pharmaceutical industry. She is the chair of PSI, a council member of EFSPI, and a and a member of various European and international special interest groups. Chrissy is also a chartered statistician for the Royal Statistical Society. I'm really looking forward to this conversation. Thanks so much for joining us today, Chrissy. Thank you. So I wanna just get started and dive right in with some examples and use cases in regards to how you're using the advancements in data and AI in the pharmaceuticals industry. Great question. There have been a number of of advances in the use of data and AI. I think there's been tremendous efforts to increase access to clinical trial data. And this is important because then clinical researchers are able to address more clinical questions and explore more medical insights um, into the data that we already have. But at the same time, there's been a focus on big data and in in particular, electronic data. So electronic um, health records. So an increasing proportion of our medical research now is conducted in what's called real world evidence, which is collected from patients in clinical practice. And in full adherence for data privacy regulations, we use anonymized electronic healthcare records to really uh, increase the power of our clinical research into, for example, how are we using existing therapies? Um, Who are um, the most patients who are gonna benefit from our treatments? Where are the unmet medical needs, for example? And in recent years, there's been a big evolution in biology and genetics. And this is also changing the paradigm of where to develop new treatments. So we're really targeting where to go after in terms of, again, the unmet medical need. So with more data becomes more more sort of uh, troubles and more and, and sort of data sources to work but that's where the role of ai and machine learning comes in and i think in pharma we're really trying to embrace the role of ai and ml across the whole drug development life cycle i think a lot of progress has been made quickly and um, i think there's more collaborations emerging between tech and pharma and that's because we're trying to understand how can we you know un- research the data that we have Uh, look at it in an unstructured and structured way to help us think about doing drug development very differently. So that's in the research space with our genetic data sources, with biomarkers, with clinical development as well, is we're trying to use different approaches to use this increased access to data so we can do drug development better, improve the way we make decisions in drug development, and hopefully increase our probability of success and bring new medicines to market. Wow, these are some big initiatives and it sounds like it's a super exciting space to work in, in terms of the impact that you can have on people's lives through health and longevity. Um, And 
just curious, I know we've all been in the midst of the pandemic for the past couple of years. Uh, have you seen how, you know, these advancements in data and AI, have they helped to support research either with vaccines or different treatment options within the pandemic particularly? Yeah, again, another great question. I'm not personally a vaccines expert. However, in looking at treatments to help patients who do unfortunately get um, infected with the pan- with COVID-19, for example, I think we've seen now uh, using AI to help research all the research platforms that we have to see which treatments and which pathways may actually help us to target which existing treatments could actually help to treat the pandemic and to treat the infection. Um, so I think we're using, again, ways to interrogate our data to, to levels that we couldn't do before, before, you know, we didn't have the technology, we didn't have the systems and processes in place. And I think some of the treatments, some of the ways of, of the clinical pathways that have come out have been because of some of the ways AI has been used to suggest there might be a potential use of, of certain treatments in certain disease areas, such as helping to treat um, COVID-19. Um, that you know would have taken us years before to maybe identify, but now it's been much quicker. Yeah, and you mentioned one not only the the data sources being used, but earlier mentioned just the how electronic health records have been a big aspect in this, and to be able to one understand how either drugs or treatments are affecting people almost in real time. Are there additional data sources used besides? Um, health records that have been really helpful in this research? Yeah, I think um, I have to go back to the genetics. There's been an explosion in biology and it's sort of, you know, the 21st century is now the age of biology. We have now much more access to um, you know, DNA, personalised medicines, uh, translational models. How do diseases change over time? So there's, there's lot, a lot more sort of, I would say, you know, very early research data and you can now couple that with clinical trial data and also what happens in, in clinical practice and start to really bring it together. Um, so some, some data can be from very small samples, um, but others can involve massive big data sources with, with thousands of parameters, millions of sort of you know, patient level data fields. Um, and that's where the focus now becomes on digital. So another data source is digital and using like uh, sensors and um, apps and devices to collect data instead of going into the site for, for visits. And that's really opening up a new way of bringing patients into clinical research. It's enabling us to be more effective. Um, it's really hard when you're in a clinical trial to be able to get into the clinic, especially during the pandemic. You know, we, we saw a lot of change in the way we, we conducted assessments because patients couldn't get to site. Um, and again, we've, we've been able to maintain high data quality, high data integrity by using digital solutions. So that's, again, a big future for us is managing these large digital data sources. And I'm sure there's going to be many more challenges that we haven't yet sort of come, come across. Yeah, so do you see the future of health really even getting more personalized, just in the way that we've seen within business, you know, everyone is so used to hyper-personalization based on the data we have. I mean, do you envision a world where you go into a medical office and they have your DNA and are prescribing, you know, different drugs or treatments based 
on your DNA and at that level? Do you see it going in that direction as well? So in, in pharma, there's been a lot of talk for many years about personalized medicine. And clearly we've got, we, we work under a very regulated env environment. So we don't, we don't have access to, you know, personal data. We have a very rigid and very well-controlled, you know, sort of data privacy regulations that we follow. However, I think with the advent of genetics and more tools, diagnostic tools, there's a lot more screening going on. So, you know, people are developing diagnostic tools to help identify what is your disease, what is the stage of disease, and actually what might be the best treatment for you. And we've always had risk scores in medical practice, um, but this is really helping to diagnose patients. So let's, let's, let's identify which patients can maybe benefit the most from this new treatment. Um, you know, treatments don't work for everybody. And, and the, the better we can articulate which patients will benefit the most, then that means we can, we can you know, get those, the right treatments to patients and, and get them treated and, you know, early in their course of disease. Yeah, and I'm happy that you mentioned just the privacy laws that are existing within healthcare. You know, in the U.S., we have HIPAA, and you know, there's a there's really actually great regulations. I wish more of the industry would use how the healthcare industry is monitored in terms of privacy of individuals and patients. And so, those great structures are there to make sure that people's data stays anonymous. But do you encounter any other ethical problems or ethical? dilemmas now that we do have access to more data, particularly within healthcare and the pharmaceutical industry? Yeah, I think one aspect I think is social media. You know, people are sharing data more freely um, in, in all the different social media platforms. So even patients in clinical trials, um, they can share some of their disease information. So whilst in, in, a, in a pharmaceutical company, we try the very best and follow those regulations to make sure we, we only use anonymized data, um, someone can, can take information from social media and try to link data sources. So there's a lot of work going on to, to protect data in that way. And again, in, in the industry, we are highly regulated. We have to show that we have everything secured. And um, you know, we, we understand our systems are, are up for high scrutiny all the time. Um, so I think that's been a big focus. I, I think, you know, it is important that um, patients who go into clinical trials, they, they, they go through what's you know, called an informed consent process. So patients can, can decide to come into a trial. But ethically, if they decide at some point, you know what, I, I, I don't want to participate any longer, they, they can come out of that trial. And, and now that data, we, we're not, you know, we, we, we don't collect any data after a patient has withdrawn their consent. So it's another, another type of the regulation where we really do protect patients. We only collect information that they are willing to share with us, and that's through the informed consent process. Um, and, that, and that can be applied to clinical trial data, but also in the real-world data sources and healthcare records. Again, patients um, agree to participate in a... A, a trial looking at their, their course of disease and they can decide again to just say actually I, I don't want my data to be shared and every country has different regulations so it is a minefield in terms of you have to make sure you follow every single rule and regulation in every single country where you run that study from again we have great people who, whose job is, is to protect that and make sure that we are adherence to those regulations but it's another example of we, we, we have to make sure that we only use data that we are allowed access to. 
Yeah, do you think then there's a need for almost like a global policy, especially given factors now like the pandemic where it did have an effect at a global scale and you know people from all around the world were studying, researching. Do you find that some of the regulation for emergency instances slows things down or how it works today is ideal in terms of making sure we have the right barrier set up for the privacy and protection of individuals? So a couple of years ago, there was a new regulation globally that was that came out, the Global Data Privacy Regulation, and that has really set the standard internationally. So that did happen, and we are now adhering to that global standard. What the pandemic has done, though, it has brought researchers together to share data. So we've also been on a, a data sharing journey for many years in pharma, um, and we have been criticised in the past for not sharing data. But the pandemic actually enabled many sponsors to actually come together and um, there's been an innovation in in clinical trial design where we can now study many treatments together in the same trial um, and as a statistician that's that's where, where we can help to accelerate evidence generation and test different treatments together and that's where people have actually come together for the benefit of the pandemic to see if we could escalate and accelerate to identify which treatments could actually work and that might be can we can we use an existing treatment and what again the the, the, the clinical pathways that that might enable that to be the, a, a potential option and also new antibodies in, in in the making new treatments oral and injectables um, but they are thoroughly tested in clinical trials but the pandemic has shown that we do need to work together and I think there's been lots more collaboration in that regard Yes, one of the one of the positives of this terrible pandemic, and hopefully we'll take all the lessons we can learn through this experience and and be more well prepared for hopefully the next time if it happens again. So, but switching gears a little bit, would love to dive into your story and understand a little bit more about how you found yourself in this role you are today. I know you have a background in statistics, but would love to know how you found your love for statistics and then found yourself in the pharmaceutical industry. Thank you. I've, I've, I've now worked in the industry for 30 years and, and I am sort of a drug developer, but my expertise lies in statistics. Um, I've always had a love for maths and I, I think from an early age at school, um, I just really was not a maths geek, but I just loved numbers. I would, I just, it came naturally to me. I was I was lucky to do um, a statistics focused um, degree and an A levels in, in the UK, which really opened my eyes to just the, the power of statistics and sort of very a very scientific approach to what's what's the question research question being posed, uh, what's my hypothesis going to collect some data so very sort of like very scientific running an experiment, running a clinical trial, and then analysing that data. And I, and I really enjoyed it. Um, there's been significant change in the industry from when I first started. And now graduates coming through, you know, have got very much more focus on data science. Um, they have a very high aptitude for technology and different statistical tools that are, are available. Uh, and the role has changed. Um, I think years ago, people were maybe, you know, we were seen as as, as experts and brought to the table when we, we, we were needed, maybe a little bit introverted, quiet background type roles. Whereas now we need to be more extrovert. We need to have a very strong voice at the table. And we're here to influence the drug development strategy, in particular, helping to make quantitative decisions 
So can we use our data in our clinical trials, in our research, in our labs? And what, what's the best way forward? And, and, and putting probabilities of success around that. Um, it has been a long, long journey for me. I'm certainly not over. I've got a love, for, uh, still a high passion for being a statistician. I'm very well connected, as you said at the start, in industry forums. And I've really enjoyed um, sort of giving back to the stats community what I've learned myself as a statistician. So there's a variety of different statistical communities, industry forums, where that really has helped me to see the bigger picture. Um, so as a drug developer, what is going on you know, in industry? Um, what, what do I see in my company? What, what are other people doing in other companies? And I've learned that it's really good to, to see that bigger picture, um, to be connected. There's a high value in networking in, in, within the company and outside the company. And I, and I always, always tell friends and colleagues, you know, it's really, I've been very fortunate to work in a career which has the patient at the centre. So everything we do has, a, has an impact in medical research. Um, so what a great thing to say that you work, work for. Um, I've learned a lot in my career. I still learn every day. So I'm constantly being challenged. And I think that's one of the benefits of, you know, if you're not feeling challenged, why is that? And I would, I would ask you to be curious to keep learning and to keep growing and try new roles. And um, the, the, the industry now has a lot more roles and um, irrespective of your background, there's, there's lots of roles you can move around in. Um, again, it's, it's ability to be strategic, um, add value, and again, in today, enjoy what you do. Yeah, a couple of key recommendations there. I love that you called out the need for individuals working in statistics and technology space today to have to be a little bit more extroverted, right? <laughs> to make sure they have a seat at the table and a voice because this is so important and that voice needs to be heard. But as you mentioned, a lot of us enter this industry because we like to be behind the scenes a little bit more. <laughs> so any recommendations for those in terms of who struggle a little bit more with maybe providing those really strong recommendations at the end of their analysis and making sure their voice is heard. You know, how did you grow that skill? Well, I, you know, it, it's never been such a great time to be a statistician in, in the industry. Um, and I think what, what, it, what it takes is a diverse team to develop new, new medicines. So whatever you join in, in, whatever your specialism, whatever expertise you have, and you can join research, you can join development, you can join operations, commercial or corporate. Every person makes a difference. And I think what I've found, you know, sort of tremendously rewarding, but also humbling is that you are part of a team that will change the lives of patients. So as statisticians, you know, with our data science backgrounds, um, we have to overcome that, you know, maybe uh, not, not, not wanting to come forward. Um, but we have really good value to bring to the table. We People respect our opinions. We can add add more you know, a diversity of opinions and there's a lot about having that inclusion and diversity at the moment as well we, we respect different opinions but we need to come to consensus and we can you know i think the way our, our minds work our logical way of working and um, we can put things together and, and we, we can help the teams to make the best decisions and make sure that we've got the data we need to make those best decisions um, so for me, it's a huge opportunity to make a difference every day, really. Um, it's, it's just a, a fantastic industry to be in. 
and, and it's changing. You know, what what will what will be needed in ten years will be very different to what it is today. So it's constantly evolving. So there's there's never a dull moment, and there's always a chance to learn a new skill. Yes, and I can see where your curious mindset can come in really handy there for that learning of the new skills and ever changing environment. And speaking of ever changing environment, we're almost at the end of the year here. And probably when this airs, it will be 2022. And as a new year begins, it's always such a great time to look towards the future and what may be changing here. We'd love to get your perspective on what the future of the pharmaceutical industry looks like, particularly within AI and the advancements in this space. And a great question. I mean, the power of our data and the power of AI is really driving significant change in pharma and how we develop drugs. I think what used to be considered impossible because of, you know, we didn't have the technology or the systems or the processes or it just took too long, that's all gone now. And a lot of things are now possible because of advances in the way we have access to data. Artificial intelligence enables us to dive into that data in a very uh, you know, speedy way and, and to, to dive in and ask really good questions to understand and look under the bonnet, as it were, to look at what, what does the data hold for us. And, and, and I think we, we're at the tip of the iceberg. I think there is so much more to understand and so many more opportunities to bring in other types of innovation using AI. And I think it will continue to change how we do develop, develop a new medicine. And that's why it's so important that we have individuals with a data science and AI background, expertise in machine learning, managing large data sources uh, to come and work in pharma. Because I think you can be part of this transformational change. There's There's a lot we don't know, but there's a lot of opportunity. And I think there's a big willingness to try to do things differently, to do things better, to do things faster. But also at the end of the day, make the right decisions because we are talking about bringing new treatments to patients. There's a lot of unmet medical need out there and um, AI can help us identify where is the best opportunity um, and what's the, what's the best way and the quickest way of, tra- of trying to get the data we need um, and use all the power of that data to enable us to, to generate the evidence. And it is a substantial amount of evidence we generate to then share with regulators, with reimbursement agencies to demonstrate the value and to differentiate new medicines, um, both whilst they come to market, but also in the marketplace. And I think on the commercial side, you know, how do patients respond to treatments? Um, getting feedback from patients is another way of using AI to use that data um, to, again, help inform um, how medical practice is changing over time as well. So it's definitely an exciting time to be alive and the opportunity sounds endless within the pharmaceutical industry. And what a better place to have such a broad impact on individuals' lives. I love that you have such a keen focus on the individual and the whole individual and their whole health care. So thank you so much for coming on today and sharing your expertise and wisdom. It's definitely inspired me. If I had multiple lives, I would maybe transition careers, um, but hopefully in the next lifetime. So thank you so much for coming on and sharing your experience. And what's the best way for people to connect with you and, and follow what you're doing in this space? 
yeah i have a linkedin account so we can share that information um again um people can contact me um i can share my personal details but it, you know anyone who who wants wants to know more please talk to people friends and family i'm happy to share more, more stories and, and talk to people about the roles and potential opportunities wonderful well we'll be sure to include your linkedin in the show notes and again thank you so much for coming on today this has been a fantastic conversation thanks so much for tuning in to another episode of the data bytes podcast if you're looking for more resources to further your data career or find your tribe we encourage you to become a member at womenindata.org see you on the other side